You know, like what if we just didn't judge people? Like, is that a radical idea? Radical. That's the craziest thing that's been said on all of my podcasts. (laughs) Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandice.com. From there, you can either sign up for our Patreon account where you get early access to episodes, shout outs, and eventually some AMAs, or you can click that little link that says buy me coffee. Both things help me out a ton. I'm new to podcasting. Every single dollar really does make a difference. This week, I want to give a shout out to Oscar Matos Linares. I hope I didn't butcher your name, but thank you so much for being a Patreon. I really appreciate your support and I'm glad to have you. This week, we have a very special guest. We have Scott Barry Kaufman joining the podcast. His most recent book is Transcend, where he kind of re-evaluates Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you don't know what that is, you're totally fine. We get into all of that in layman's terms. This was a really awesome conversation. We got into some really fun topics. He's just such a nice guy. So um, I really hope that you enjoy the podcast. Give him a follow. He's got some really cool courses that he's offering as well, which he'll plug towards the end of the podcast. So enjoy. Anyway, it, was oh, a fu- so it was a really funny... funny. You brought us together, so I just want to say thank you for oh, uniting, uh, giving us, bringing us a reunion. I'll send you, I'll send you the Twitter exchange. I think you'll get a kick out of it. I definitely will. Yeah, he's a really <laughs> funny guy. I love him. Well, let's do this thing. Um, so I first stumbled upon your Twitter account, and I really like you caught my eye with like your hashtag, and I had already had your book and all of that. Um, and I was like, oh, he like promotes neurodiversity. And you don't hear that term a lot. So for a lot of people, they're like, well, what does that sounds like a big fancy word? And that just means like different kinds of brains and different kinds of thinking. And some people that maybe have like disabilities um, or quirks, right? Like that's kind of like a layman's way to put it. Um, I guess what kind of got you into an ad in advocacy for that? Because I listened to one of your YouTube videos where you did a TED talk and you were talking about your experience with the education system. And I was smiling ear to ear listening to you to, <laughs> listen to you to talk. Like you have like mm-hmm. such a wonderful storytelling presence about you. So if you could for the listeners kind of give your background because it's just so fun. Thank you. I really appreciate that you brought up the neurodiversity. That's actually a topic that a lot of interviewers don't bring up with me anymore. They did, uh, you know, a while ago when I, when my first book, uh, my book on gifted, came out on intelligence. But more recently, people haven't brought it up. So thank you. Any opportunity I can get a chance to talk about that really lights me up. Um, it's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, when I was a kid, I um, had an auditory learning disability, so um, I just had a lot of fluid in my ears. Like the first three years of my life, I was essentially deaf, and so uh, teachers uh, thought I was. They thought I was stupid. And uh, I mean, I, to be fair to them, I did kind of, I was a bit slow. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, re, re, it's a reasonable inference, but um, <laughs> no, no, I, I like, I like being cheeky, but um, no, I, it was like, it took me an extra couple seconds, milliseconds to process information in real time through hearing. So um, yeah, in, in class, I looked like checked out. So I became, I was a bit of a troublemaker. Like I became like a, the class clown. I used like humor as my way of like, you know, uh, I was always in the detention office. They're like, why would you make all the kids laugh? Like it disrupts the material. I'm like, well, it's more interesting than the material. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, so, but so I really was, fr- it was frustrating, like, like growing up with this learning disability. But the big insight uh, that I, that I felt like I had as a kid growing up um, about human potential is that 
um, all my friends in special ed, uh, we were all the troublemakers. We were the outcasts. We were considered, you know, we're the ones in like smokers row. You know what I mean? Like the <laughs> ones that everyone's like, oh, you don't talk to those freaks. But I felt like they had so much greater potential than anyone realized, you know, like the teachers didn't give them uh, uh, credit. Um, even like when I hung out with them, I didn't feel like their parents believed in them. And I just felt like at a real young age, like I, I kind of knew in my, in my gut that I wanted to kind of devote my life to helping bring out the full potential in people, especially those who um, uh, may appear slow or not as smart or, um, uh, or a whole number of reasons. I'm really interested in neurodiversity and um, so glad you brought that up because, you know, I think that like, you know, in this discussion of diversity, I think that gets left out of the, of the discussion because people are focusing um, and that's fine, you know, f- to talk about racial and uh, gender issues. But I do feel like uh, the deeper aspects of our brain functioning and the way we see the world and perceive things that aren't just skin deep, I think are really important uh, discussions to bring into the diversity uh, discussion. And well, I'd love to hear what you think of that. So when I was listening to your story, um, you had mentioned that you were trying to get into the gifted classes and you scored poorly. So they were like, well, what do you mean? Like, you don't belong here because this one test says you can't go there. And my husband, who I actually, um, I mean, everyone's going to say I'm biased, but he's like a very intelligent man, but he was in the, like the slow classes most of his life. Um, He has like pretty moderate ADD, um, not ADHD, but ADD. And his brain just like works differently. Like at any time where I'm joking with him, I call him like a beautiful mind. The way he just like pieces and like pulls and puts things together is just different than anyone I've met. So they would just say that you're stupid because he's not doing it the way that all of the other kids are doing it. Um, So for a long time, he had to kind of fight that story that was like engraved into his brain since childhood, which is you're dumb, you're not good enough, you're never going to be successful, um, and you're always going to be, you know, with the dummies. So it took him into like probably, you know, 20s, maybe even 30s for him to be like, this is actually my potential. And just because I don't perform well on a standardized test, that doesn't mean like that's the full capability of what I can do. Um, So I guess moving forward, because you see a huge spike with, especially with boys with ADD and ADHD. Oh yeah. So how do we. And autism and autism. And Yeah. And then actually I have two nieces that um, are on the spectrum as well. So you just see that they learn differently, not that they're stupid, right? They just, they need a different avenue. So how do we get this kind of like broadly implemented into the education system instead of just saying <laughs> you can't do any better than this. So just be quiet, go to the small room, go on the small bus and you know, that's where you're going to be forever. Is your, is your husband around by any chance? Yeah. He's upstairs. Can I give, can I talk to him for a second? Yeah. Yeah. Give him some, give him some hope about his mind. Yeah. One second. Let me grab him. Oh, Hey, how's it going? Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, what's your name? Eric. Hi, Eric. Nice to meet you. Um, I, as a kid, when I had this auditory uh, learning disability, I developed uh, ADD up the kazoo uh, personally as well. And um, what I've discovered in my research and everything I've done in, in, more, in more recent years is that it has a lot of creative gifts. And there's like a part of the brain um, that uh, has to do with imagination that is enhanced in people with ADD. And so I've, I've tried to rethink it uh, as a overactive imagination disorder, not as uh, anything else. So I don't know. I wanted to give you some hope. That's, <laughs> and, uh, all, that's awesome. And, uh, different, different framing of the way you maybe you view yourself. Cause I don't know if you're like me, if you were bullied as a kid at all or anything, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. If bullied is the word, but it's definitely like, so growing up, I went to a Catholic school 
uh, first mm-hmm. through eighth grade. And I know that at some point, I don't know, maybe it was like it started probably third grade where they just stuck you in a basement. And they're like, okay, well, you have a learning disability. Go to this smaller mm-hmm. class with a couple of different kids. And and then, uh, I don't know, we'll see where it goes from there. But it was it was far less of a curriculum, right? It wasn't really challenging whatsoever. And it was really just, I wasn't like overactive as a kid. I was more like, I just daydreamed. Right. Yeah. So then they're like, yeah. okay, you have a learning disability because you can't. Day- get that's exactly test. right. Yeah. Daydreaming is is uh, I've been trying to bring that back as a positive thing. So what is so, what's the what is it? What part of the brain? Like what makes it different? Yeah, I'll send you the article. I wrote an article for Scientific American called "The Creative Gifts of ADD" that that maps out that in the neuroscience of that. But it's right. called the default mode brain network, and I've called it the imagination network because I found I thought default mode brain network was a boring name for it. But um, it's 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 not the part that has to do with your attention focus. Um, in the world out 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 there, it actually has to do with your ability to f- to um, imagine and focus on your inner world. So it turns out with people ADD actually have an enhanced inner world, uh, even though from the outside it looks like they're checked out or they can't concentrate. It's because they're getting so much interference from their wonderfully rich mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack um, Candace's uh, podcast, but I wanted to. To just uh, if I could offer you any uh, understanding at all about yeah. your, your brain, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. That's that's good. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And I'm back. That was unex- unexpected. Yeah, it was. I'm glad though that you guys had something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, me too. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Of course. I don't know if um, if he mentioned because I was upstairs watching the babe, but um, one of the things he worries about is like our son getting you know ADD I think it's suggested that it's um, hereditary and how we help him with school and I can't remember what podcast I was listening to it was a parenting podcast but they had said that some of the top boys schools around the world actually don't have um, desks or tables or I'm I'm, I'm sorry uh, chairs rather um, so that the boys can like run around and like get their physical energy out and then act- and still learn and actually um, improves what they retain. Yeah, that's right. Like if you can um, arrange a school system in a particular way that's conducive to that kind of mind, you actually get extraordinary things out of them. And that's the thing that's most heartbreaking, I think, about the way we set up our education, our one-size-all-fits education system, mm-hmm. um, because the, really the, the ones who uh, benefit um, the least – from it are tend to be the ones that um, could make the most creative contribution to our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, there's, there's, there's lots of things you can do, you know, for the ADD mind, you know, the, the, these kinds of these, these kids just um, love to have a personal project that they can get involved in and they love experiential learning and uh, being able to kind of get in that flow state, you know, that, that, that complete absorption state. It's a paradox because once they get into that state, they can focus better than any motherfucker. <laughs> I don't know if I can curse. Yeah, yeah, podcast. you can totally curse. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's the really exciting thing, you know, is that, that it's like, don't mess with them. Don't mess with a person with ADD and flow. That's you know? how he is too. Like if he's like really into a book or an article or a podcast, I could be a foot away yeah. from him. And I'm like, babe, babe, babe. And he's like totally unaware. Like you cannot break that man's attention. So yeah, it is definitely a paradox, right. but we're definitely, we're trying to navigate it and find books to help us prepare just in case that he is, because um, like we mentioned, it's not really set up for 
anyone with any kind of diversity, right? It's just like this is the way that you mm. learn and it just doesn't work for a lot of kids, which I see um, some universities getting rid of the SATs and everyone's like causing a fit about it. But when you meet someone like my husband, I mean, he sucks at those things and it, de- it definitely yeah, I isn't. Sucks. I suck th- those things too. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's not like a proper representation of like who he is or what he's capable of. So, I mean, I'm for getting rid of those tests personally. Yeah. I can't concentrate in like a two hour standardized test. It's mm-hmm. like so boring. <laughs> I would get so much anxiety when we had like the state tests in high school yeah. and then perp- like it would end up doing awful just because of my anxiety. Um, yeah. So I did want to talk about your your book, Transcend. And what I think is interesting is Maslow's hierarchy. So not everyone's going to know what that is, um, especially if they never took like a psych class or it's been like a really long time. Um, but essentially, it's a, a different – it's a pyramid of needs, right? And then you kind of like redefined that. So I want to talk about how you kind of turned the pyramid into a sailboat and then I also noticed that you got rid of like the base model, which was physiological, and if there was a reason for that. Sure. So, have you heard? Of, have you seen like the famous pyramid of hierarchy of needs? Yes. I think people were everyone kind of learns it in their introductory psychology classroom, where you have um, this pyramid with uh, with basic physiological needs at the bottom, and then you have uh, security needs and um, connection, belonging and self-esteem needs and then boop you go up to self-actualization <laughs> if you got all that then you're you're self-actualized well it um it turns out when i was digging into the writings of uh abraham maslow the humanistic psychologist who is credited for that he never actually drew a pyramid in any of his writings um when i was looking through his unpublished and published writings i really got absorbed in that and i was like where's the pyramid hell's no pyramid <laughs> you know like what so um so i was like gotta tell people about this and uh and uh and 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 some other researchers were independently also discovering that he never had a pyramid and uh, todd bridgman uh, and colleagues uh, wrote a really cool paper about tra- tracing it to a 1960s um, organizational psychologist who I believe it started off as a stepladder um, uh, with the man self-realized at the top with the flagpole because only men could be self-realized in the <laughs> 60s, I guess. And uh, yeah, so that was like the kind of idea about this. Um, and uh, when you actually dig into the writings of Maslow, you realize that uh, what he really emphasized was the, the difference between security and growth, that sort of um, that dance one could one could say um we don't feel as though we can fully grow and um and get outside our comfort zone and take risks when we are motivated by deficiency so what i really liked is just his distinction between deficiency motivation and growth motivation um i think we're seeing a lot of deficiency motivation right now in i don't know if you've noticed <laughs> in america uh, <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like everyone is motivated by deficiency, right? Like um, everything is like – and uh, and that you tend to see that under situations where there is a, a society doesn't feel stable. Um, this is a very common thing that you'll see in a society that doesn't feel stable, a society that uh, people cling to their tribes. They cling you, – you, you know, they're, they're, it's very cyclical in human nature and it's almost – it's also very predictable. You know, based on what we know about human nature, um, but I thought a better metaphor than the pyramid that, that Maslow never drew was a sailboat. Um, and I didn't know if you wanted me to talk about the sailboat yeah, metaphor, but I can definitely. Yeah, okay. I want um, and definitely why you chose a sailboat rather than the pyramid. Well, 
the pyramid kind of connotes like a way of like life's a video game in some way, right? Like you reach some level of need, like a certain threshold, mm-hmm. like the need for belonging and you reach a certain level of belonging. And then like, it's like, as if some voice from above is like, congrats, you've unlocked connection. <laughs> and then you can move up, move up to connection. You don't have to worry about like the one below it ever again. Um, and I don't think that that's the best framing for one's existence, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, no one's exempt from uh, returning to uh, lower needs uh, when in certain, you know, it, we have been flow out of it, in and out of it, right? Mm-hmm. We can pretend like, oh, my self-esteem sorted. I don't need to worry about that anymore. I'm just self-actualizing, baby, you know? <laughs> you know? I'm not calling you baby, but I'm saying, yeah, yeah. you know, like I'm just, yeah, okay. okay. I'm self-actualizing. And, um, uh, but, um, you know, but the problem with the person who says that is that, that you know give them some critical feedback and don't tell me that they don't they don't boom, they fall right back mm-hmm. to so, to the self-esteem need you know it, it you know it's like i can i can i can feel as like self-actualized as can be some days and then like if i write a tweet that i'm really excited about and gets like one like i'm like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> that got one like that deserved at least three likes <laughs> um you know so uh you do you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it's 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 all about um, uh, the point I wanted to emphasize in my book and with the sailboat is that uh, we're one whole operating unit. We need to integrate ourselves and we need to be a harmonious unit where all the parts of ourselves are working uh, with each other and not against each other. We don't feel like we're fighting a civil war within ourselves, which is how Maslow put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the sailboat is more of like an experience through uh, the vast unknown of the sea. Um, and, and I think that's what life really is. You know, it's, it's to life is to be experienced, uh, to, uh, go on adventures, um, to get outside your comfort zone, to grow, to, uh, realize your full potentialities. Um, it, but also acknowledging that if our boat has too many holes in it, if our basic needs are so deficient, like our needs for, uh, connection, uh, safety and, uh, and self-esteem, if though, if they're so low, um, we don't feel comfortable enough opening our sail and being fully vulnerable. But once we have a, a, a certain uh, level uh, where we feel like the boat's secure, then we have to grow. You know, you have to open that sail someday. You know, if you're going to grow, you're just not going to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like just being secure, it doesn't equal growth, right? Mm-hmm. So um, going in the sea um, and uh, knowing that the the the, uh, the winds and the, the waves can come crashing down on us at any point. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still move in our purposeful direction with a spirit of exploration and love. Um, and and that's uh, that's the sailboat metaphor in a nutshell. So you brought up um, mo- like deficiency motives. Can you elaborate a little bit of what those what those are for the listeners? So when I hear that, I think um, kind of like growth mindset versus limited mindset a little bit. And some people might get, oh, I don't know, maybe a little bit on guard about this because it's like it's whether or not like you're looking at things from like an introspective way or an extra like or from the outside like life happens to me not for me kind of a thing um are those Why would people get on guard because i think people when shit hits the fan and let's say like you're like and especially right now we're like given 2020 in the very beginning of 2021 it's very understandable that people are going through a very rough time like on all walks. So I think sometimes it's a little bit more satisfying to be able to point outward and say, this is the reason rather than reframing it, because there's always a way to look at things with gratitude and be able to kind of like open up your sailboat or like move your way up that pyramid. Does that make sense? So like looking at things from 
a deficiency motivator would be like, I lost my job. I haven't been able to see my family and I'm going to be in this negative spiral. And then you have um, your physiological and your safety uh, parts of the pyramid just kind of like buckling under you a little bit. But if you were to reframe yeah. that and then find a source of gratitude and a source of purpose, then it wouldn't be as detrimental to your growth. Uh, I wrote an article for Scientific American called, Is it Time for a Personal Growth Mindset? Um, to distinguish it from a growth mindset. And what I mean by, by that is, you want. I think we want to make sure that we're choosing, uh, making decisions that are helping us grow as a whole person mm-hmm. and not just one part of us. Um a lot of people um, – so that's why I distinguish between a growth motivation and a growth mindset. What I'm here today to promote on my on this podcast of yours is a growth motivation, not a growth mindset. And uh, it might be taboo, but it's taboo <laughs> in certain circles to say that. Uh, there's enough people promoting a growth mindset that I think there's room, there's mm-hmm. space for me to promote a growth motivation. Um, and I and the difference as I see it is that you, know, you can have a – a growth uh, mindset up the kazoo um, for the wrong things, right? You could um, you could have all the growth mindset in the world to, to do well in standardized tests, and yet you let all these other aspects of your being uh, just flounder. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have the biggest growth growth mindset to like and grit. You know, grit's another big one, and I love uh, I love Angela Duckworth and the work she does. But but wait, the, again, the way it's applied sometimes, you know, it's like it's 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 as if the characteristic of grit and growth motivation, uh, gr- gr- uh, growth mindset, it like that that in and of itself is all that matters, mm-hmm. right? But the context of the rest of your self is what matters. You know, are you ma- to me a growth motivation is one, are you making decisions uh, that are leading to greater integration and wholeness in 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 in, in who you are? Um, when we're deficiently motivated, we're making decisions that only are to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um uh, when we're in deficiency motivation, we're de- we're we're often like treating ourselves like a fort that needs to be protected at all costs, mm-hmm. and it t- and that tends to lead to rigidity mm-hmm. in thinking. Mm-hmm. Right, you see that right now in in uh in in every extreme direction, mm-hmm. every radicalization, um is is there's this very rigidity aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. That's you know that's being motivated by deficiency, but when you're motivated by growth, um, is the motivation. You're, you're constantly asking yourself, you know, will this decision uh, or goal help me grow as a whole person? Ma- Abraham Maslow has a great quote, and I'll be quoting Abraham Maslow all day long. <laughs> he has this great he has this great quote: um, "What's not worth doing is not worth doing well." And again, I hope I hope my point makes sense. You can have a growth motivation towards a goal that isn't right for you. Mm-hmm. And then why? And then why? So you should just be rewarded. Oh, great! Look, you have the growth mindset. You're amazing. Uh, you know, you're amazing. You're wonderful. It's like, no, that wasn't actually the right goal for that person. You know, you have you see a lot of posturing. You see a lot of people who think they should be someone else, or they think they should be um, in their career, or or um, or or they. Or you can you can kind of tell. Can you kind of tell people who are are not comfortable in their own skin? You mm-hmm. know, that sort of thing. And um, and. And, you know, my heart breaks sometimes I see some of that because you just it's, it, you just want to say to that person, like, you know, um, you know, like there are decisions that that will be right for you and you should have confidence to take those decisions. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So I guess if you find your – I guess self-awareness is part of it. But when you find yourself maybe um, in a habit of making decisions based off of like deprivation or lack, how do you – 
is it possible to start looking at things differently if you don't have those basic needs met? Like if you don't have that safety met or that connection met? Because I think a lot of people are struggling with that now. So it's like, how do we make these improvements when we're still being told we can't see each other or like I still can't open my business or whatever your reason is because it is such a crazy time. So is it possible to reframe the way that you're thinking when you have all of the external factors coming at you? It's super hard. Yes, I I do think so. And um, I think that if uh, one of the, uh, uh, one of the founders of this humanistic philosophy that I live my life by um, Victor Frankl, I love uh, him. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Great. If he can, um, he's influenced my work a lot as a modern day humanistic psychologist. I, I, I consider him a foundation of, of my work. Um, you know, if he and others in, in the concentration camp could find moments of joy, um, then anyone can. <laughs> okay. Like, mm-hmm. you know, come on, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, you're in, con- you know, you're in control of, of you know, the, the jo- don't, no one can rob you of, of your capacity to create meaning and to have hope in your head mm-hmm. for, for the future. And uh, if you let people win, if you let that happen, um, then, then you're, you're letting that happen, you know, in, in to, to a certain degree. Now, I think that it's a complex issue because when we talk about mental illness um, or uh, people who are suffering with like um, severe, like depression, for instance, um, the last thing you want to tell someone with depression is, oh, just be happy. Oh, just be joyful. Um, and I want to be very uh, nuanced in my answers because I don't think that's um, the best way to help someone with depression. But I will say that uh, one of the best remedies, not remedies, that sounds corny, remedies for mental illness. Like sounds like <laughs> mother's home remedy, you know, the, the best tonic, the best tonic for mental illness. Uh, one of the, sometimes I say like words I don't mean to say. And I'm like, what? I just say that. One of the best ant, uh, ways to help uh, reduce the suffering of someone with depression, that's what I'm trying to say, is actually helping that person not focus on themselves so much. Self-transcendence, helping them get out into the community and help others and get out of their own head. The, I, I view neuroticism as a form of narcissism. I call it vulnerable narcissism, you know? Mm. And so actually self-transcendence is um, a really great way of helping people who are kind of stuck in a deficiency motivation mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way for them is not to keep ruminating on, on oh, what was me? 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 But say, oh, let me give something to someone. You know, let me have gratitude, you know, for whatever I have. I'm alive. Well, that's good. <laughs> Let's start there. <laughs> you know, um, I, um, uh, you know, like that was a beautiful sunset, you know, oh, this is a beautiful connection I have with this person. I've, I've always been really fascinated with like researchers who go like there was there was research who went to the slums of Calcutta in India, uh, people who were living in extreme poverty on the street. And they, and they found that the life satisfaction ratings of those uh, people were higher than the average American. <laughs> I've seen those. So, mm-hmm. You don't have to reach, you know, you don't have to wait till your life is all perfect or some level before you can cultivate a, a meaning and connection in your life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, you can find happiness at any point. So when you get into those ruminating negative like self-talk patterns, is it kind of like – and I guess it goes to the importance of reframing and trying to like find gratitude or look at that sunset or whatever. But if you keep ruminating, is it – creating like divots in your brain almost like like a like a neural habit if you will so that it's like harder to break so you're almost like reinforcing that negative self-talk or making that depression like even deeper and harder and 
every time you choose or force yourself to do something different or think something different than you typically would, you're starting to create a different neuropathway and like helping to break that cycle? Well, yes. I, um, I've written about this because you know the, the, the two wolves parable, of course, right? No. The, um, I, I think the parable goes something like uh, someone is asking the the elder, like, I feel like I'm there's a war within myself. There's like this good wolf and this uh, bad wolf and says, what do I do? You know, how do I overcome this war? And they said, well, you know, it's the one you feed you know, um, that matters. What wolf do you feed? Now I totally messed up that parable. Like, the, you know, so everyone Googled yeah, the, the parable cool. because I, because I didn't like fully, I'm sure there's, I didn't say it right, but <laughs> you understand, <laughs> you the understand point. the general idea. Yeah. You get the point. Um, and I, and there is a, um, analogy there to the way the brain works, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together, you know, is the, is the ebb, you know, the famous, uh, neurologist ebbs, uh, description of the brain. Um, and I, there is something too, uh, the more that we feed within ourselves, it does strengthen those connections and uh, those pathways in the brain. There is definitely something to that. Um, that's why I find personally, uh, you know, I need, there are some doors I can't even open a little bit. I just need, they just need to be completely shut. Like if I keep chocolate around in my cabinet, then I'm going to fucking eat the chocolate. Like, you know, like they don't even, you know, it's like, it's 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 uh, i have no self-control when it comes to chocolate and other things like that you know i i just don't even have it you know um so uh there is there is a lot to that Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. so i think another thing that you mentioned um is so the difference between d love i have it abbreviated and b love um so for our listeners can you talk about the difference between d love and b love and the significance yeah. of it. This is great. Um, you, it's funny because you just you don't even hear the word like love much in in like how many times do you turn on CNN and hear the word love? Because it's the whole if it bleeds it leads nonsense. It's like you guys yeah. have the power. The people have the power. Just turn it off. Turn it off until you yeah. start seeing them shift what they're talking about. Yeah, it's just, and I didn't mean to. Sorry, I didn't mean to just single out CNN. You know, any any of the stations, of you turn them. them on, it's like, yeah, you just. The point here is that it's so such a refreshing question, really, because I think this is what we need to be talking about more in our society, um, because everyone is so be love motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, so be love. Is, uh, sorry, everyone is so de love motivated. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> D I messed that up. Reward. <laughs> <laughs> everyone is so de love motivated and what i mean by that is like everyone's like um motivated by um the the hole they have in their soul um right it's like it's like you know uh love me um uh, i need to belong i need to matter you know every everyone is 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 obsessed with mattering right now mm-hmm. right um, and look, fair enough, if you've, you know, you come from your whole life, you haven't felt like you've been included and don't feel like you matter in society. And I don't want to denigrate that whatsoever, mm-hmm. but that's still the motivation that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I can distinguish that from uh, be love, as Maslow did, lo- being love, be, be stands for being and what and 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 I really like that phrase because there's two ways that 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 that, that makes that I really love that one it means you're being love mm-hmm. you shine light everywhere you go you bring people joy you know you 
Um, it's part of your being. It's not part of your doing. You know, you see, you see a lot of people who do love, you know, to, so that they can get more money. You know? mm-hmm. So that I saw a tweet the other day, something that I, that really pissed me off. I retweeted. I was like, oh, I don't like this. It said something like, be kind because it'll increase your competition. It'll, it'll help you dominate the, or be more competitive. I'm like, that's, what the fuck? Just be kind. Just be kind. Period. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, um, it really, it really upsets me. Um, so, uh, and then another way that I think being loved really works is um, not only uh, are you uh, being loved, but also you have love for the being of others. And what that means is that you love someone, you can love someone even you don't even like, but you admire and, um, and appreciate their own sacredness of who they are. I don't think people are really um, uh, treating each other as, as sacred. <laughs> Do you think people are treating each other as sacred right now? No, and I think and, a lot of it is yeah. because we feel like if someone does something bad, right, and it doesn't matter how bad it is, tr- if you talk to like the spiritual gur- gurus of the world, but you should be able to mm-hmm. find like love and compassion for that person. And I don't see it anywhere, especially on social media. Yeah, especially in social media, and and I, and that's an interesting bubble because uh, people start to generalize and think that their uh, group of twelve Twitter uh, people they talk to regularly every day is somehow representative sample mm-hmm. of the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you can get really really stuck in that way of thinking. That's where all these conspiracy theories come from, and I am seeing conspiracy theories coming from every direction right now, and it's like. Um, it's 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 fa- it's a fascinating phenomenon for a social psychologist. Oh. So sure, social scientist. You know. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And if they just, if everyone just reframed the love. I mean, I think we've all been guilty. Like I've certainly spent a good amount of my time in like the D love category, and I've. Me too. I feel like I've been in a B love category for a while, and definitely being like a new mom helps, um, mm. kind of like stay there, but. So we, do you know what uh, biocybernaut is? Have you heard of biocybernaut? Never heard of that word in my entire life. No? Okay. So it's ran by Dr. Hart and he essentially does um, like alpha brainwave training, theta training, and um, delta training. And he does a bunch of different things. Um, and I did the alpha one course and it's basically to try to get you into like a flow state. Um, and you get it by neurofeedback. So like you hook your brain up to all these wires and then you hear your feedback come through these speakers and then you can kind of see a numerical score as to like, if you have um, coherence happening and all that, all that good stuff. Um, one of the cool ways to get there was by doing like different kinds of, um, forgiveness exercises and like meditations. And he Mm -hmm. challenged me to, like look at some of the more broken relationships that I've had, maybe like people that have been like very abusive um, or negligent throughout my life. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to ever love this person. I would give it a whole host of reasons why, you know, they did this or I don't know them anymore because they've been, you know, removed from my life. And he's like, you don't need that. You don't even need to talk to the person to forgive someone. You don't need to talk to the person to have love for someone. And he would have you sit there and in all sorts of different ways go through these forgiveness exercises and by the end of the day you're like lighter and you're like holy cow like I actually have love for this person that caused me an immense amount of pain and there's a variety of, way, variety okay. of ways to do it which is you know um, one of the easy ones is to take this horrible person 
and take them back in time until maybe they're like a five-year-old, right? And then you look at like the five-year-old version of this awful person. Like maybe it's a parent and um, you know, picture them as a little kid. How do you not have love and compassion for that person that maybe they also had a really shitty upbringing and abusive parents and they just wanted to be loved? And then round and round we go. So once you break in like into that, you know what I mean? Like you're stopping that chain from perpetuating for you to your child because now you have love for this person and say, instead of like this hatred or animosity and saying um, – like not having that forgiveness, I guess. Um, so it can be done. It can be done to like the most horrendous people and I promise you it's like so much better on the other side. Yeah. That's 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 a a really higher level of spiritual understanding if you can get there a spiritual form of love. I will say that if obviously if you're abused, like have love but get the fuck out of there. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. That doesn't mean yeah. you have to stay. Well, from afar, yes. far, afar, yes, afar. yes, yes. And that's but, the thing too is yeah. some people confuse it. They're like, well, if I love this person, if I forgive this person, do I have to bring them back into my life? And the answer is absolutely not. You can love someone and forgive them and still yeah. keep them at a distance exactly. and have your healthy boundaries. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I want to just clarify that, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, do you want to kind of describe like what is transcendence? And because you mentioned like uh, cosmic consciousness and some people are like, well, what is cosmic consciousness and what is it to transcend and self-actualization? Like these are all big words. Um, so, <laughs> for some people, right? So Lots of syllables. So many. So what are all of those big fancy words? They're, they sound a bit woo-woo, mm-hmm. you know, but I've I've made the case that there can there can be wisdom in the woo-woo. Mm-hmm. I mean, the operative word there is can because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things I'm like, what the heck is that person talking about? But, um, but you know, I think that on a scientific foundation, we can place the more transcendent aspects of our being, and uh, and and what I mean by that, you know, is a, is a healthy form of transcendence where we don't think that we're um some people call it the i'm enlightened and you're not effect <laughs> that's not what i'm talking about it's not what i'm talking about. you know you don't you don't reach enlightenment so that you can you know look down on others mm-hmm. you know from above and be like oh i'm so superior mm-hmm. to that because that's that's called narcissism mm-hmm. but um uh, not tra- not enlightenment but i think that there's a healthy form of enlightenment where you feel connected to all of humanity um, you know, you you can really feel uh, a common a common humanity, mm-hmm. and um, and you feel a sense of wholeness and integration within yourself that emanates outward into the world, so that who you are and what you love doing is synergistically at the same time good for society. I think that at the it it it's called synergy. It's a term that Maslow co-opted uh, from uh, the anthropologist Ruth Benedict, but. Um, the thing about this higher level of transcendence is that a lot of false dichotomies fall away. Um, a lot of these we, we have in our we're, we're we're not at that level of consciousness in our society right now. We we have so many dichotomies. Um, you're you know um, you're either uh, good or you're evil. Mm-hmm. You know you're either selfish or you're a giver. You know um, you're either male female you know like um you can't kind of like combine different aspects and t- in in the sense of being i mean that's a whole other discussion yeah. <laughs> you had like De- yeah like you we, had could Deborah, spend, so. we could spend a whole another hour just getting into that <laughs> that's a whole other discussion but uh i'm not talking about sex right. biological mm-hmm. sex i'm talking about ge- you know just um in terms of like gender expression you mm-hmm. know 
you know, like, well, you're either a man and you're just dominant alpha or you're a female and you're this weak pussy. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm saying these, both of those I'm saying are, I don't like either of those right. things. Right. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we can integrate, we can become, we can come to a higher level of integration. And, um, and, uh, and that's, you know, that's wisdom. I, I, um, uh, I was on Sam Harris's podcast and I talked to, he asked me what wisdom was and I, and I, I think that's what wisdom is, you know, thinking, you know, really thinking about that is, is our ability to be able to um, see these polarities of human nature and the, and the imperfections and, and accept the imperfections of, of humans, you know, and, um, and I accept our own imperfections, um, but still have love for humanity. You know, it, to me, it's, it's the, it's the broken, uh, not the broken, but the, the cynic who is, who is, who's not self-actualizing, you know, I, I think that once you, once you fall into complete uh, cynicism about humanity, um, you've really fallen into the deprivation mode of, of human existence. So do you believe, so do you, I guess I would assume yes, but do you believe in kind of like a collective consciousness and like a global consciousness? I guess we could start there. Um, in like a young, a young sort of Carl Jung sort of sense, collective unconscious. Like the like, I'm trying to think of how to word this. So I don't sound like crazy person, but as one person, no judgment. <laughs> as one person like elevates and evolves and maybe transcends, then it kind of starts to bring other people, and then the more people that reach this level of self actualization, like the better society gets, the better like the planet gets. Um, like, yes. have you seen those meditations where they'll get a bunch of monks and they all pray for like one country or one um, like disaster mm-hmm. that happens and then you see a shift? Like, I, I wish I had the studies in front of me, but this is like real science. It's actually happened. So if you actually start seeing more people do this, this work, this internal work, then you can actually start seeing yeah. the changes as a whole, like globally. I do, I do believe in that kind of contagion, mm-hmm. um, and I think it, uh, it certainly operates in the opposite way as well, mm-hmm. um, which you you really are seeing in this country right now. Um, um, this deprivation, motivation, contagion—I'll call it. Never quite put that those three words together in a <laughs> sentence before, but um, so you certainly see the opposite. Um, I do think that there are um, transcendent moments of um, contagion, which you see at a dance, you know, at a sports event. You know, you see, can see it at a concert, you know, when you have everyone together and we're all, um, on board with the same thing, we hear the beautiful, um, I'm such a big fan of, uh, Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, for instance, and, uh, um, and, or Jack and Dupre, the cellist. And, you know, it, for everyone in a concert hall, hearing Yo-Yo Ma play, um, a Bach concerto or, um, uh, or, uh, the Elgar concerto is more likely for an orchestra, uh, an Elgar concerto. It's so transcendent. Have you heard the Elgar concerto? Mm-mm. Oh, it's it's just it, it brings me to tears uh, every time I hear it. I, 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 I'd like to send it to you. Yeah, please, um, please do. Eric probably does. He's very into classical. Oh, he's gonna love mm-hmm. this if he hasn't heard of it already. But um, the, the interesting thing is that you bring everyone together listening to that music suddenly it doesn't matter what you're who you voted for during the last election <laughs> <laughs> now it's only you know after the song plays and then you start talking to people and they're like oh you vote for trump okay <laughs> I, you you shouldn't be at you shouldn't be at this uh, <laughs> this concert that then it activates all of these things but there, there what i'm really really passionate about is is bringing out 
um, transcendent experiences in humanity that can 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 uh, help us um, uh, really get in touch with our common humanity. Um, there's lots of all like experiences like that as well. You know, everyone's sitting together watching uh, the stars and you know the middle of the desert in Australia, for instance. If we could somehow bring everyone together in the world to do that together, um, and 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 just um, feel like something higher. Now, a lot of religious people, um, try to, uh, say they get, you know, that's, they're getting in touch with God in, in, in terms of a higher being. But, um, I think that there is a, a spiritual form of transcendence that can rest on a scientific foundation that doesn't have to be tied to belief, mm-hmm. but can instead be tied to experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and no matter what God you pray to, or even if you're an atheist, God, gosh forbid, <laughs> you're, you know, you're an atheist, uh, we can all rally around these these common transcendent experiences. So I, when everything started going crazy at the beginning of 2020, um, I couldn't keep my eyes off of what was happening. I was following these mm. accounts that were posting minute by minute, like um, like riots, pri- protests, um, everything, right? Like COVID numbers, like just couldn't keep my eyes off of it. And I was having like such negative reactions to it, like physically, like like anxiety through the roof and I was like I don't like what this is who this is turning me into so I'm normally like a pretty positive person like a pretty hopeful person very like normally a very nice person and this was making me like the opposite of all of those things so I had to kind of force myself to unfollow certain accounts or mute certain accounts and then start following more positive accounts and part of me fought that when you followed me yes because your account is so positive and it's like no matter what's happening like you can go to your Twitter account and you're finding a way to try to bring people together. And I think that's so beautiful because right now all you see on both sides is people saying, this is why we're different. And you're like, no, 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 this is why we're the same. This is why we should all, you know, come together and love one another. And um, I'm glad that you're hopeful and that I'm hopeful and that hopefully we can start coming together instead of pointing out differences because something's got to give. Well, something does have to give big time uh we're we're, we're all really at this de- depri- deprivation motivation and um and we're all competing in uh i refer to it as the victimhood olympics mm-hmm. you know and um it's uh it's it's causing us to not see how someone else's suffering who's in our out group might actually um maybe we're having the same experiences. I see this as analogous to the religious thing that I was saying, you know, and religious experiences versus beliefs. You know, I would, I would much prefer uh, a world where people, you know, who've been discriminated. I mean, that we, we all rallied around similar experiences of like, well, we've all been discriminated against and let's get in touch with, with that feeling and, and have compassion and empathy mm. for others who've had it, even if they're in our out group, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's almost, it's like taboo these days. It's taboo for, you're not allowed to care about someone in your out group. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like within your in group, it's taboo. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in your in group and like, let's say you're a, a Democrat and a Trump supporter, trips and falls you're supposed to laugh at that person and tweet oh look at this person tweet or or and it definitely works the other way as well if a trump supporter sees i mean you see all those ben shapiro guys all the people they're they're mocking Mm -hmm. democrats all day long you know um but would it be would it would it be what is it against the law is there anything in the law book saying you're that 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 ben shapiro can't just once like just be like 
oh, that was a really cool thing that Democrat did. Uh, much lo- or, or, oh, that Democrat's, you know, like having a lot of suffering right now. Um, let's all just like rally around and, and hope they get better. I don't know. Like, because would it be you, like such a bad thing? You end up being yeah. like homeless though, like ideologically homeless. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. like I've made some tweets that people forced me into the conservative bucket. And then I've said things that people on the conservative side are like, oh my gosh, you're such a lib. And I was like, I don't belong anywhere. Like I'm actually registered independent. And just because of like something I said, you permanently put me over here. And then when I um, was criticizing what happened at the Capitol, everyone that followed me that is like super right was like, what do you mean that violence is wrong? I'm like, what do you mean that it's not? Like, this shouldn't be controversial. Like, I should be able to say I didn't like the violence that happened earlier in 2020, and I don't like the violence that's happening now. I don't care who's committing it. Like, I just think that there's a very, very, very rare time and place where that's your only option, right? I'm not going to you know, yes. use that idea in, in a vacuum and say it's always wrong because, again, there's going to be very, 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 very rare moments where that's your only option. That I have not yet to see a moment that it was that was the only option. So I just think everyone's making the wrong decision there. And I got a lot of flack because I wasn't sticking to what that group was saying, which was like, this is our revolution. I was like, they broke in and we're taking selfies and like people mm-hmm. died. Like, that's not a revolution. You guys are idiots. I think one of the, you know, one of the ben- I, I I feel I feel I feel you. First of all, I feel you. Like I totally hear what you're saying, and I think one of the benefits of um, being a special ed kid <laughs> is that I don't care. Like I um I almost like like I was born being an outsider, you know, and why stop now? Mm-hmm. You know, like I just going to say what I think in, in for issue to issue. Um, I'm trying, I try to keep my labeling to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, there's a lot of, I, there's a lot of pressure for, for instance, right now, uh, there's a lot of pressure if you're in the intellectual circle, like I am to be anti-woke, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure, like, like social pressure to make fun of and mock anyone, uh, that we can put the label woke on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm like, well, okay, can I, just, am I allowed to just criticize issue to issue? Can I take like individual to individual and be like, okay, you know, I don't agree with that, what that person said. And here's my critique. I, I just don't want to be forced to um, put every, anyone it, 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 under a single umbrella, you know, mm-hmm. um, put, put a whole group of people who's a, a heterogeneous group of people, not a homogenous group, but a heterogeneous group under a single umbrella because there are lots of people who have different opinions and thoughts um, within labels. And also as a kid growing up with a label, I know how, how much that fucked me up mm-hmm. <laughs> being, being labeled. Mm-hmm. And so I have an aversion to labels. Um, I have an aversion to being put in buckets. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're, you know, what you're doing. Cause I think that's brave. That's very brave of you to you know get you know to not um work not i don't know the word cave is the right word but um like like someone in your situation one could say well okay well you have to just eventually just choose what's good best for your brand but i've been i've personally been resistant about having a brand you know Mm -hmm. like if anything i want to be i want my brand to be no that i don't have a brand Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um that doesn't make sense but maybe that does make sense to you in a way but Mm -hmm. but you i think it takes bravery for you to get flack from these and be like okay well this is what i 
I'm going to be nuanced. And if you don't comprehend nuance, that's not my problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think I'm similar in the way that I've been like, obviously, I've been labeled and people have had their prejudice because of um, like my career and everything. So I think Mm -hmm. like that makes me a little bit more thick skinned and like able to say what I want without like being scared of how it's going to feel when people yell at me or call me names just because I I've People call you names? All the time. All the time. So it's almost like I've like calloused a little bit in I would say a good way um, to mm. where I don't let other like external factors negatively affect like how I feel about myself or self-worth, which has taken a very long time because it's certainly not easy. But um, it goes back to like ideologies and people putting you in a bucket. And if you like stray at all, then all of a sudden like they're re- – like they have their rock ready and they're just going to come for you. And it's like – not everyone who does this one thing feel like you can there we're not all the same right like not everyone that was in the adult industry is one way not everyone that voted for Trump is one way not everyone that voted for Biden is one way like there's it's so mm. complex so unless you have like i don't know like an individual mm. experience with someone you can't judge them do you know what i mean they can't judge them off of the group that you're you or society's like forcing them into well yeah, I, I love what you're saying, and I, and I'm just like I think the key there is judgment is judging, mm. you know. Like, what if we just didn't judge people? Like, is that a radical idea? Radical. That's <laughs> the craziest thing that's been said on my, all of my podcasts. I don't. The problem, because the problem with, like, I don't judge. Like, I have friends. They've said the. You know, I have friends who are into the freakiest things, right? And I'm just like – and, they, you know, they'll admit it because I want people to feel comfortable with me. That's something that really matters to mm-hmm. me as a coach, you know, as a psychologist and as with my friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll say the freakiest things because they know that they can they, – they're not going to get any judgment out mm-hmm. of me. You know, be like, oh, that's so cool. Uh-huh. Like, the, you know, not my thing but, you know, like, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I just – what if we just like – um, just saw people uh, treat people sacred. I, I want to get back to this idea of what that means to treat, because I think Maslow um, was onto something when he talked about about the sacredness of each existence. You know, it really is a sacred thing to exist. It's such a rare event mm-hmm. um, when you think about all the different ways in which one couldn't conceive. I just, um, for instance, I just got a text from a, a friend who's who um, just found out that you know that, that his wife had a miscarriage, oh, no. and they're really, you know, uh, really in a in a in a, in a not a good place right now about that and just all the ways that 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 uh to, to exist is a miracle it, it, and 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 to be able to, for someone to um you know to honor that 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 um given all the givens of existence which um there are givens of existence which 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 cause us to have suffering you know the I'm not the first person to say that the buddha the buddha said to be human is to suffer mm-hmm. And and just recognizing that, and 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 realizing that someone is is living. Look at a person with fascination, not judgment. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, I look at people with just utter fascination. I'm in awe of of how people choose to live their lives. You know, you know, even if someone's like a horrible human, it's it's uh, you know, like it's it's it's. it's I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the way that that person has chosen to spend their very brief. <laughs> And improbable existence. Oh you know? wow! Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what a way to look at it, though. I totally agree. That's so. If we were talking about branding, that's definitely one of the, like, if you were to say, like, purposes of the podcast and like the new trajectory I'm on is just like curiosity. It's not to 
have assumptions about someone or um, any like fields of work. It's to like have conversations with anybody and everyone that I find interesting and just ask questions because that's the only way you're going to learn. And it's funny because some of the more um, like controversial guests I've had on, I'm like, if you just listen, like they're actually a pretty nice person, like a pretty decent person. (laughs) But we just like take a snapshot of someone or like maybe one tweet that they said and we summarize their entire being as that. I'm like, that's just inaccurate. You just have to have like these more long form conversations. Otherwise you're just never going to go anywhere. I think that we're similar in a lot of ways, actually. Now I'm realizing this, uh, some ways we're definitely not similar, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but there's some ways, where, but there's some way, there are a lot of ways in just our essence of being, because, um, I don't know if this, if you resonate with this, but if someone tells me like, Oh, you can't talk to that person. That makes me want to talk to that uh-huh. person more. 100%. I don't know if you're the same. 100%. If you're the, so, so I've always been that way. Like in high school, like I would be like befriend the bad boy, you know, friend, mm-hmm. you know, or there's people like, oh, you can't, that person's bad news. And I'd be like, oh, I want to just go right toward it, yep. you know, and understand it. And, uh, uh, so anyway, I don't know if this is, I feel like we, we both have whatever that bone is. 100%. Yeah. And I think um, partially because like I've been in that category, like I've had people be like, don't talk to her, stay away from her, whatever. So I think I, I resonate with that. Um, mm. And even beforehand, like even in high school, like I was always friends with like the punk rock kids or like the outliers. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my family. That's where I'm going to be. Everyone says like, don't go there. And that's where I'm going to go. And um, yeah, it's yeah. it's deeply embedded for sure speaking about personalities i definitely wanted to talk about this test um before i take like all of your afternoon you took it i did take it it. and i was like oh i was so nervous because i was like what if i what if i'm a bad jedi (laughs) um no judgment no judgment so i have it's the light triad facets and it said um it's lower on average by 11.2 percent and that's uh, this one's the faith in hu- faith. In- here's the big question: Is where were you? A, were you where were you? A, it where, said did you slightly light. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what did Yoda appear though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's right Yoda. here. This one. Yeah. Right? Well, okay. The picture of Yoda yeah. appeared. So. Whew. <laughs> Not that's what matters. Okay. That's what matters. Okay, so we can still be you're, friends. You're, you're you're on the light side of the force, mm-hmm. but you know you're not. You're no saint over there. No, definitely not. So I scored lower than average for faith and humanity, faith and humanity by 11%, which actually kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, Okay. And then with humanism, so valuing the dignity of worth of each human being, my score was greater by an average of 7.35%. Cool. Um, the Kantianism, so treating people as ends in themselves, not means to an end. My score was greater by 25.1%. Nice. Yeah. That one I thought was cool because I have like, I have a lot of relationships around me that are the opposite. And I'm like, that just seems so dull that way. Like, well, you know what I mean? Don't do that. And that's be love. That's you're a be loving person. Oh, so that's what that means? You're a be loving. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the facet most linked to be love. See people, I'm telling the truth. Um, and then this one wasn't surprising yeah. at all. So narcissism, I scored higher by, I don't have the percent, but the average was like slightly over 40 and mine was like slightly over 60. But I feel like that's yeah. anyone that's like uh, like a public figure slash like performer. Entertainment industry. Yeah, you have to be a little bit. 
Definitely. And there are certain facets of narcissism that are, they're not like bad. Like there's like, like exhibitionism. I don't know. Where, I assume at one point in your life, you might've scored higher than average in exhibitionism. But, uh, uh, <laughs> it's not fair to say, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but I mean, that's a facet of narcissism, you know, and it's neither good or bad. I mean, I score high in that facet. I, I love looking myself in the mirror, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, I, I have a skincare routine. I oh, I'm so proud of you. Yes, that's I'm, amazing. I'm 40, 41 years old. And, uh, oh, you got a baby uh, I face. I, I know I got a baby face. Yeah. Um, but um, no. So look, you know, we can have a hilarity about some of this as well. You know, it's like, you know, like the... In fact, the ones who like make pretend they're like these perfect beings with no imperfections, um, they they tend to be the ones that don't have much of a sense of humor. I don't know if you've noticed that, you know, like, you know, it's like they they can't laugh at themselves. Mm-hmm. They can't laugh at uh, they can't like they tend to be rigid about others being either black or, or white, mm-hmm. you know, um, in terms of personality. Um, but I noticed you didn't read the other two facets of the dark triad. Like, oh, are you a psychopath? Where? Are... <laughs> oh, no, they're right here. So, yeah. <laughs> Now let's go over those for clarification. I, I noticed you didn't. I noticed you didn't. So for um, psychopathy, so callousness and cynicism, my score was lower by 20%. Is that good okay. or bad? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, there's no good or bad. I'm not judging. It, you're not like a card-carrying psychopath, if that's Wait, what Wait, so that means me. I'm more, I have more than the average if I'm 20% less? Oh, you're 20% less on psychopathy? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Is that a oh, good thing or a oh, bad thing? Again, there's no good or bad really, but I think that does mean that you're uh uh you're yeah, you're less you're less of a psychopath. Yeah, okay, okay. Means. So yeah, yeah I'm less yeah, of a psychopath yeah. than the average less. average test taker. Um and then, and then what about Machiavellianism? Machiavellianism. Um strategic exploitation and deceit. My score was actually greater by an average of seven point seven five percent. I wonder if um you need that uh to uh for your business, you know, to uh for to figure out strategy for how you can, you know, put yourself into the world. I would say know. definitely with the when I was an adult for sure. Like that served me one hundred percent. Can you hold one second? Yeah, I think I... my Apple headphones are here. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I got my Apple headphones. Present. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's. Well, we're coming back. We're coming back. We're coming back. We had important things. Okay. Um. No, but yeah, I think I think that was definitely necessary. I think that helped me from um, getting trampled on a lot yeah. while I was while I was still shooting. Um. And it's not. As, yeah. It's not significantly higher, so that's good. It's not like. Do you still? It's not like what. Like it's, like, like it's not like all the way on, up to like eighty yeah. percentile. That's right. That's right. Um, are you? Do you still shoot? Only for myself. So I only do like mm. like an OnlyFans. Um, I stopped working for companies mm. like I don't know, like four years ago ish, mm. maybe three. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's and do you find that works better for you right now in your life? One hundred percent. Like I, I think. I don't really have any regrets with ever, with anything. I think everything happens for a reason, so I am always like grateful for every like lesson, hardship, and um, yeah. every blessing. Like it's all for a purpose. I would nice. never go back. I would never do it again. I wouldn't take it back, but I would never go back in. It was um, 
It needs a lot of work. The industry needs a lot of work. So uh, it's definitely better. Like to talk. I, I, I've had I've had uh, porn stars and porn directors on my podcast, the Psychology Podcast. Oh, really? Uh, maybe it's maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a topic I love covering. Um, uh, sex work. I'm very interested in the psychology and uh, and how the psychological effects, you mm-hmm. know, on on people who are in there. Um, yeah. So maybe we can have you on the show time show sometime. I would love it because I'd like to. Yeah, I'm. I'm so curious. Um, uh, I'm. I'm so curious about uh, that industry and, um, and to me, I think it takes so much courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think of what it would take in my psychological structure for me to like tweet out, "Here's me naked." <laughs> you know, like, I can't even. I can't. Do you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. Scott Barry Kaufman. I can't even imagine what that would be like require within myself mm-hmm. to feel comfortable enough and have that courage to here's me having sex <laughs> like um i think it takes a lot of courage i don't think we we really um appreciate as much um you know uh, you know it's always boggles my mind when people do like slut shaming mm-hmm. you know it boggles my mind because you know i always want to say to that person well do, do you would you have enough courage to to express your desires in that way so openly and honestly like I don't think so. Uh-huh. You know, like it's, 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 it's fascinating to me. Anyway, um, I didn't mean to, to, to go down that path. No, but, no, yeah, I think it's, an- it's awesome. And then your perspective, I think is very refreshing. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. But I think when you see people that get very defensive or critical about that, it's just because of like their own insecurities around whatever subject that might be, whether it's um, porn, sex work, or really any walk of life, right? Like it has way more to do with that person and them not being able to visualize them doing it. So it must be wrong. Like I would never do that. So no one should ever do that rather than recognizing we're all but individuals. they're watching it. They're probably watching it. <laughs> yeah. If they're honest and admit it for sure. Like if you, yeah. you can't deny all that traffic that goes to all those sites, but I hope that- Oh, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I just- I think a lot of it too is like the mystery around it. So being able to like have conversations with like people like yourselves and I think more people would be open-minded about it. But when you have um, like two porn people talking, no one's going to listen because they're going to think it's like very jaded and one-sided and um, like dishonest. Have you met personally in your career? Have you met Stolia? No, I've never met her. Mm -mm. I think you guys would get along. Uh, She was on my podcast. Um, I find her – her views about uh the good and bad of the industry really fascinating and um yeah i just, I just thought maybe that that that'd be someone uh i'd love to see you two in conversation with each other oh for um, sure i've watched a lot of hers she's a pretty brave voice um because she was like one of the first like big name yeah. stars to come out against certain things so she's definitely done a lot of good mm-hmm. absolutely well, well, cool. I, again, I didn't mean to derail the uh, conversation, but I am, I'm actually very fascinated about the, you and what you do. So maybe we can uh, continue that conversation another day. No, I would definitely love to. I, and I remember when, um, I think you, I followed you first, if I'm not mistaken, but when you followed me back, I was like really surprised. I was like, oh my gosh, like he doesn't care. Like he doesn't care who I, like who I am or like what I do, like in a negative way. Like you weren't like judgmental. People would care? Yes. Like I've had people that they'll be like, oh, I really like um, like your tweets and you seem cool, but I can't follow you because of like porn. I'm like, that's so – I get it. I get huh. it. But it, it happens a lot. It's um, it's definitely disappointing when it does. 
Well, if I wanted, uh, if if I cared about my uh, integrity whatsoever, I shot that in the foot recently because I created a TikTok account of me dancing. <laughs> I was I was looking at those today before our call, and I was dying because it made me think of um, how you got into university, and you were saying that you yeah. just went to like an opera tryout, and then you That's talk right. about um, yeah. applying yeah. for like the psych. Uh, it's like not minor and you were like running away in your tights and I'm like I just got such That's a good right. visual and I thought it was amazing so keep making TikToks because yeah. I enjoy them oh I'm like all all in do you see my Backstreet Boys one That's so good <laughs> so I was gonna say if I cared about a shred of dignity dignity then I yeah then it was know, gone it, it's almost it's almost freeing to have it gone, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, people who appreciate authenticity appreciate it, you know, and um, you can't please everyone, right? So, no, you definitely you can't. Know. So one of the last um, points I wanted to bring up is you had an article that I saw you retweeting today, which was on spiritual narcissism, which I thought was really cool because I was actually just talking to Eric about it earlier um, today because we have some people like this in our circle that – they do one mushroom trip and all of a sudden they have this ego about them and you can't talk to them or um, debate them or try to rationalize with certain things because they think that they've now reached this level of enlightenment that you simply have not. So I th- right? like, <laughs> see, I'm here. I've arrived. So <laughs> to some people, I feel like they think that's like a paradox to be spiritual and then also to have like this level of narcissism because you would think that spiritual spiritual um elevation is like the removal of ego but what i see happening sometimes and especially with you know some silicon valley members is that it actually creates like a super ego so can you explain a little bit about that article and um, i guess like the inspiration behind it so the reason why you asked me why i got interested mm-hmm. why am i interested in that topic mm-hmm. you know i think that uh, I've long been I've long been interested in the topic of spiritual narcissism uh, because it it just feel it felt to me like so many people in this in the spiritual community were just so um, like thinking that they have evolved in some sort of egoless way and and that didn't appear to what I that's not what I saw <laughs> uh, I saw a lot of ego um, uh, I saw not only that but it seemed like the the more uh spiritual practice they put into it the bigger their ego became <laughs> so it, it just it just almost seemed like a correlation and that was opposite of what is promised mm-hmm. you know the promise didn't the, the hype didn't seem to live up to the uh the actuality mm-hmm. of the of the matter um and i saw some studies on this and i wanted to put it to all together into an article because there are no, there are enough robust high-powered psychological studies um that are starting to give us a picture of the matter. And it seems that the spiritual domain is not exempt from, um, from this, what's called the self centrality principle. Anything that we start to view as part of our uh, core to our identity, um, we um, become attached to in, in some way. And it starts to be threatened. Uh, it becomes part of our ego mm. as well. So uh People who are trying to do spiritual practices um, may develop, if they're not careful, spiritual narcissism because they're not becoming aware of those patterns that are that are that are happening. Mm-hmm. I think that meditation and a lot of mind-body practices are at their best when they allow us insight into our mind and um, our ability to 
to see ourselves from the outside, even though we're still on the inside, but, you know, kind of, um, non, non judgmentally look at our patterns of thoughts and behaviors and become aware of just how driven lots of our things are by the ego. I think that's a great benefit of a lot of mind body practices, but when they instead become a way of getting likes, you know, um, you know, like, uh, be like, look, everyone, I meditated today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I got a thousand likes for that. Um, that, that takes us away from the, from what I think at its best, it could be. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think it comes down to like what you said about like self-identifying and then like having these things. And there's like that philosophical question of like, who are you? And if you strip away all of these things, like, are you still the same person? And what I've found at least so far, and I'm still like a kind of a dummy when it comes to, <laughs> to this stuff, I'm still trying to like learn, but it's just that you're simply the observer to all of these things. Like you're not this thing. Right. And then that helps a lot when it comes to ego and like openness to like learning and admitting like when you don't know something and um, being able to grow. That's exactly right. Um, that observing mind, the eye, um, the being able to uh, view your thoughts like a carousel on a uh, on the uh, the airport. You know, when the, I haven't been to an airport in a while, but <laughs> no. I almost forget what it, what it looks like. <laughs> but you know, with the luggage uh, going around, your thoughts like the luggage, but you don't pick it up. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna pick up that luggage today. <laughs> or, or this time, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it come around again. Not I'm not gonna pick it up. <laughs> and being able to um, yeah, like create that 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 space between the stimulus response and the response is really. Um, what it's all about, you know, but um, yeah, a lot of people just, uh, they, they, they see a, pr- a different promise of these practices like, oh, it'll ha- let me have better sex. Oh, it'll help me be more successful. Oh, if I, it, it's almost like the kindness thing we talked about earlier, you know, don't develop your kindness muscles so that you can be more competitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like having you know, that means to uh, an end kind of. Correct. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, that's a theme of our whole, of, of all this, you know, we're talking about today is, um, are, are things, uh, means to an end or are they, you know, they're, they're most transcendent values. Uh, Maslow called them the B values, the values of being themselves, beauty, meaningfulness, um, justice, um, fairness, uh, uh, um, completeness, um, wholeness. All these things are ends in themselves. They're not things we need to do means to an end. Be love, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. like a beautiful place to end. I want to say thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. This was amazing. Can you tell the listeners where they can follow you, how they can support you, and any projects that you're working on? Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I really am grateful for you uh, having me, inviting <laughs> me to be on your show. Um, you can find me at scottbarrykaufman.com is my webpage and I have everything on my webpage. You can find me on Instagram <laughs> at Scott Barry Kaufman. I have yoga pictures of myself. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, they're quotes. They're inspirational quotes. But I now have recently a TikTok account. So follow me on TikTok at SB Kaufman where I have, you know, self-development kind of quotes interspersed with uh, dancing moves yeah all great stuff well thank you so much um give this man a follow check out his books and um, i'll talk to you soon 
That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have the time, please rate and review, and you can always hit subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. I hope to have you back.